0: It's nice to be back. I don't think I've ever done two talks in a row at G2, and I was a little bit worried there might be ten people here this afternoon. (laughs) But thankfully, um, it's nice to see some faces that were here last week and some new faces. So, we're going to carry on with our series Centre Church. And the idea, if you weren't here last week, is that Centre Church is about asking the questions which are fundamental and basic to the church. So, we ask why do we exist as a church? do we exist for what's our purpose, what's our mission? And last week, I got halfway through thinking what it means to be centred on the gospel as a church, and then I left you in a preca- precarious position. I hate saying that, well, I shouldn't have said it, shouldn't I? I left you at a cliffhanger. I told you what the story of the gospel was all about, but foolishly, I didn't tell you how to apply it to your lives, and so you're all left with this new story, this story of God's truth. As you went into your weeks And I'd be interested to hear How you found taking that story into your weeks So last week's story was To ask what is the gospel And we're going to follow straight on from that By asking what, what difference does it actually make To my life So to briefly cap What was said last week The gospel is simply a piece of God's, God's news It tells us something that God has done And it's in its simplest form The gospel tells us that something was broken and God fixed it. The writer Timothy Keller describes it as follows, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe, but more more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. The gospel tells us that we can be put back into right relationship with God. And on your tables you should see you've got a book that says the story of God. Feel free to take that book away with you. Um, If you haven't already got a Bible, feel free to take any of the Bibles that you see at G2, as long as they don't already belong to somebody else. (laughs) But this book, this story of God's news, has chapters to it, as we heard last week. It tells us that God created a beautiful world with a purpose. He created human beings in his image with a purpose. And his desire was that they were in relationship with him. But somewhere along the way, this got distorted. The whole of creation, including everybody in this room, every human being that has existed, has been affected by sin. We are far from God. And the solution, as we heard last week, is that God enters into history himself as a human being to live a human life, to die a human death, and to rise from the dead To start the renewal of his new creation. And then we saw that there is this fourth chapter to the good news that one day all things will be restored. That purpose that God put in the heart of his original creation will be fulfilled and renewed. So that was last week. Now this week, does any of this matter? Does the truth make any difference to how we act? Let's look at the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he tells them that what they do with their present lives really matters. So we've got this really long, detailed discussion about a complex theological issue, about the resurrection of the body. And I urge you to go away and look at that passage, because it's really fascinating and really interesting. But thankfully today, I'm not going to unpack the theological implications of the doctrine of the resurrection, so don't worry. What I want to do is, I want to draw your attention to these last two verses in 1 Corinthians, where after this long discussion about what happens after we die, what happens to our body, Paul draws our attention to this. He says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the labour in the Lord is not in vain. The gospel story tells us good news about something that God has done. We see that in this passage where Paul tells us the sting of death is sin, but the victory is Jesus Christ. He tells us that story that we heard last week. But then we get this word therefore and often when you read the gospel uh, you read about the gospel in the New Testament it has this little word after it therefore because of what God has done there is a response on our behalf the gospel changes how we live and it's easy to think that the gospel is only good news for our death that this life is just a waiting room for some future which will be perfect, and that our only job is to take as many people with us before this world is destroyed. But the story and the truth of the Gospel refers not only to the past and the future, but as we see in this passage, to the present. What you do in the present is not in vain. Listen to how Paul puts it elsewhere in the the letter to Colossians chapter 1. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel. So again, we see that the gospel is a piece of good news we're told that we've been rescued from this sin but then we have this therefore statement provided that you don't shift from hope so that's what we're going to focus on today we're going to focus on the therefore of these gospel statements we're going to say we're going to look at what it means in the present to live out this story of the gospel in a world which is full of the effects of sin we see every day That the world is not as it should be. I think that's fairly obvious to all of us. But our call, as it says in this passage, is to be people that do not shift from hope. We are called to be people of hope. We are called to be the people that say there is a different way. That despite the brokenness that we see, there is a different way. There is hope when there seems like there is not. That there is purpose, even when it feels like there is no purpose. Our job is to be people that do not shift from this hope. We are called to be people that signpost to God's future. We are called to be people that live a life in the present, that we know one day we will live fully in the future. And so I'm going to look at three really practical areas of how we can bring this about, how we can be the signposts of hope in our culture today. So the first thing I want to talk about is justice. Living a gospel-centred life means that we have to care about justice. If we want to be signposts to God's news, if we want to speak truth into our society, we have to care about justice. And this is a theme that goes through the entire Bible. If you look at Amos chapter 5 in the Old Testament you see how sensual this theme of justice is to the heart of God. He says I hate, I despise your religious assemblies. They are stenched to me. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. God tells us if we don't Care about justice, then we don't truly care about worship. And then again, when Jesus comes to start his mission on earth, he proclaims that justice is central to what he does. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. The theme of justice, of alleviating suffering, And poverty is central to God's plan for humanity throughout Scripture. And I think we often hear people saying, I know I do, I have friends that say, Jesus is great, I I love Jesus, I love what he teaches, I love the fact that he cares for the needy, I love the fact that he makes people more selfless. But somehow there's a gap between um, you Christians and what Christianity teaches. Maybe we're good at singing songs of worship, but when we go out to the world, um, often people think that all we do is judge people and tell them how to behave. I know that's not true for everyone, but often I think people outside the church get this far better than we do inside the church. As we heard, the story of the good news was that this world was made with a beautiful purpose, but that this was distorted. And that Jesus came to reconcile this purpose that in one day we might all be made perfect. And if we are to be the signpost to this story, if we are to speak out this story, then we need to care about justice. We need to care that people in, on our earth die of preventable causes. We need to care that there's poverty in our cities. We need to be the people that say, this wasn't how it was meant to be. It's not how it should be and it's not how it's going to be. That is the voice of the church. When Jesus teaches his people to pray, he tells them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. How can we pray that prayer in our hearts, in our prayer meetings and in our churches and walk out? and not notice the injustice in our society? How can we sing that we want to dance upon injustice and then not notice when it is screaming us in the face? And I'm not preaching from a position of authority here. Um, I really haven't got this sorted out. I'm not very good at doing this. But this is not a peripheral issue to the Gospel. This is sensual because it proclaims the story that there is a purpose for humanity, that there is hope for humanity let me just give you a really practical example and again something that i'm not very good at in the back of that room there's a box in which we can give food to the people that are uh, that don't have any they don't know where their next meal is coming from uh, we're really lucky in our society to have um, organizations like the food bank and the Beeson project in york that do amazing work And how often do I forget to do the simplest task, which is picking up some food and putting it in in that box on a Sunday afternoon? It's the easiest thing to forget. As Christian reminded us a few weeks ago, we can't forget the poor. So what is our voice saying? How are we speaking this truth of the Gospel? How are we doing with it? Can I challenge you to be a truth speaker about injustice? Can I challenge you to speak up for injustice? So the second thing that I want to talk about is beauty. And I think this is something that actually isn't really talked about in the church all that often. But just like the voice of justice which says, the world was meant to be a certain way, it's fallen away from its purpose, and one day it will be renewed... The voice of beauty says that God created a creation which was beautiful and majestic. God was a creative God. We see in Genesis 1 that He created a world full of beauty, full of fields and deserts and mountains. And human beings are immensely spiritual beings, that we don't just connect intellectually with the world, but we connect emotionally. Why is music so powerful? Why does Debussy's Clair de Lune bring me to tears every time I listen to it? You shouldn't play that because you'll make me cry. <laughs> why does that bit right at the end of Lord of the Rings, when all the uh, hobbits walk in front of the crowd, and Aragorn says, My friends, you bow to no man. Why does, that, why does that punch me in the gut? Why does that get me every time? Why does going out for a walk and seeing the sunset over the mountains, why does that make us feel so passionate? Why is art and media so powerful and controversial and evocative? If we are people of God's truth and God's story, if we are a gospel-centered people, then the truth is that it was made this way. Creation was made with a purpose, to glorify God. But it was broken. And it has been redeemed. And it will be made perfect. So there's another truth that comes from that story about the beauty in this world. And I'd just like to play this quick video, which I think sums this up quite nicely. Okay, so we'll just wait for this video to come up. If we can't get it, that's fine. We can still grasp this point. The point is that the beauty, the purpose and the beauty that was in creation has been distorted. Our concept of beauty has been broken. The things that God said were beautiful about his creation have been twisted by his people. And we have a new understanding of beauty in our culture. Have we got the video? I think that video sums up far better than I could in words. That what we call beautiful in our society is far from its original purpose. So as speakers of truth and speakers of God's story and God's gospel, we need to be people that champion true beauty. We need to be people that say, this is what is beautiful, this is what is true, and this is what is right. And I think that, there's Barbie, an image of, you can decide, is she an image of true beauty or an image of distorted Barbie? Distorted Barbie, distorted beauty. (laughs) So I think it's really sad, and I wish this wasn't the case. But if this message is true, and God did create the world, then why are there not more voices of this truth in those areas which are so powerful? I would love to see, over the next 10, 20 years, a rise in people that speak this message in our media and in our culture. Because some of the loudest voices that we hear tell us, opposite of this truth. They tell us that there is no purpose and that we should just get on and enjoy our lives. We should just enjoy the things we have. We should enjoy sex. We should enjoy pleasure. We should chase after everything and we should not be content until all our pleasures are met. There is an opportunity, and I want to challenge some people in this room, to be people that are truth speakers in those spheres of society. And especially... For students, you guys are you're trying to figure out where you're going, what you want to do. Maybe some of you have got a good idea about that. But can I, be the people, can I be the person that says, be someone that speaks truth and beauty. Make your career a career that speaks truth and beauty into areas where often there is none. But for all of us here, I realise that um, not all of us are going to leave our jobs and start an independent film company, although some of us might. And there are, of course, other ways of speaking this truth into our society. But there's another challenge, I think, for all of us, which is how do we consume media? What do we let speak to us? Do we let things speak to us which just reflect the lies and the distortion of our culture? Or do we let God's truth speak to us? Do we listen and watch and consume things which speak lies or things which speak the truth of this story? Because as we've seen, we are spiritual beings. We connect with media and art and beauty in a very spiritual way. And so it would be be foolish to say that watching things and listening to things had no impact on how we lived. So maybe that's something that we can think about. And I'd love that to be something that we go away and talk about more in our cell groups or with the people we meet up with this week. What are the things that we consume and do they reflect the beauty of God? So again, I think this is an immensely practical and an immensely challenging way of living out the gospel. And not all of us will be the next Michelangelo, although I hope someone in this room might be. But, and not all of us are... Naturally, very creative people, but we all have a part to play in how we celebrate God's beauty. So, if we are to be people of integrity, if we are to be signposts of the gospel, we need to care about beauty. And finally, I want to talk about evangelism. And I won't say much about this as I'm aware that this is going to touch on the next two talks that are coming up in this series. But as at the centre of our call to live gospel-centred lives, our challenge is not only to be signposts of justice and beauty and truth, but we are asked to call people, to invite people, to come and hear this story. Jesus, in one of his last commands on earth, tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. We don't just sit back and wait for people to come. We make disciples. This is a very active word. And actually, personally, I'm quite scared of evangelism. It makes, I think, that guy looked maybe a little bit like you think I might look when I was a child. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, I didn't look like that. But I'm scared of the word evangelism, personally. That's what makes, makes me think when I heard the word evangelism. And often I think... Evangelism is a bit like Marlite in the church. We have people that go out and they're like, oh my word, I just told 30 people about Jesus and it's the best thing ever. For me, that sounds like a horrible day. I told them to 30 people for one day. <laughs> but actually, evangelism, when we understand it properly, is important to living out this story. And it's not about saying, I've got the perfect life. I have found the magic beans and you're still doing it wrong. It's not saying you need to come and join my club where we wear checkered shirts and listen to soft pop rock. (laughs) Evangelism is not just the offer of a better life and a new religious experience. It's not scaring people that if they don't believe in Jesus, that they're going to hell. It might contain some of those things, but at its heart, evangelism is an announcement. It's an announcement of what God has done. It's an announcement of that story that we heard about last week. It's an announcement that Jesus is Lord, that evil is defeated, and that God will create his creation. But how on earth do we say that with any relevance to people that don't want to hear it? Well, I think a start, which is why I discussed these two things first, is that if we care about justice and we care about beauty, then our announcement will make a lot more sense to people. I reckon that people actually get this stuff more than we think. People are passionate about truth and beauty and justice. The very fact that that advertising campaign exists shows that this is true. Our story that we tell is not just a piece of information, it's not just just a piece of historical information about God, it's not just an outdated world view. It says that the very reason that you care about these things, the very reason that you care about justice and beauty and truth is because you were created in the image of God, in the image of a God who is true, a God who cares about beauty, a God who cares deeply about justice. And our job is not so much to convince people that this is true, but to show them, to invite them to come and see for themselves. So the third thing that I want to suggest is that we should be inviting people to come and see this story. We should be inviting people To come along and talk to us about what we believe. To come to church with us. To meet our friends that also believe these things. And this will look different for every one of us. Actually some of us um, are in jobs where we don't actually interact with many people. And it's not really appropriate and possibly a little bit embarrassing to talk about Jesus. In front of a class of 34 year olds. Or when you're serving coffee to ungrateful tourists. And... Sometimes we need to know that that's okay. But on the flip side, we shouldn't shy away from being distinctive. We shouldn't shy away from saying, you know what, I do believe that there's a purpose to life. I think often our natural response is to pretend that Christianity is this little secret. We kind of downplay it. When people say, are you one of those churchy kind of people? I think my natural reaction is just to go, well, you know, I think uh, I would call myself a Christian, yes, I would call myself a Christian. Uh, but I'm not, like, I'm not one of those wacky kinds, you know. I don't, I, I don't go around you know, bashing other people, I'm not judgmental. We Naturally, we protect ourselves. But we shouldn't be afraid to be distinctive. As a student, I reckon I probably talked about the meaning of life. On average, about once a week at least. That might not be true for all students in this room. Perhaps I was just a particularly reflective student. (laughs) But when you're at work, this rarely comes up. The meaning of life is rarely a topic of conversation. But deep relationships at work can take years to form. And often they're with people that have much more established opinions and worldviews. And the other thing that I want to say is that that's okay. It's okay for that to be the case. Evangelism is not about convincing as many people as possible. We're not called to be salesmen. We're called to be storytellers. And personally, when I realise that, evangelism starts to look a little bit less like that weird younger me pointing his finger at people. And it starts to become something which is just a bit more normal. The truth of the gospel is that this is something that God has done. God has rescued his creation from sin and he will one day make it perfect. So what I want to say today is that God is already at work. God is already doing these things. God is already in the purpose of restoring the injustice in this world. He's already already restoring the ugliness of this world. He's already bringing people to him. My question to you guys is, are you joining him or not? So what we're going to do to respond to that is we're going to spend some time just thinking about how that is going to be the case for us. And you might want to take a few moments just to reflect on some of these words that I've said and to ask God to speak. Practically, what can I do to be this storyteller, this person of the gospel. And then, if you're like me, it's nice to have a physical response as well. It's nice to have something tangible so you feel like um, I've responded to God with my hands as well as my head. So around the room, at the back and over here, you'll see there are two maps of York. And one of the things that came up as we were praying this week for the meeting was that someone had a picture of us being like this map. And we have these little strings that come out of Burnham that you can see dangling at the bottom now. And actually, we are people that take this story and we go out into York. We go out as people with this gospel, with this gospel story, and we go out and we live our lives. And that is what it means to be a centred church. That is what it means to be a church that's centred on the gospel. It's not just about this meeting being centered around the gospel it's not just about our singing being centered around the gospel but it's about what we do in our weeks being centered around those truths so the band are going to come up and play and when you're ready if you want to come up to the map and put a pin on the place that you will spend your time this week so that might be your place of work it might be the place where you live but as you do that ask that you could go into this place and be a person that is a signpost of God's story. So I'm just going to pray for us if that's alright. And then we're going to respond like this together. So Father God, I thank you for the truth of your gospel. I thank you for your almighty work in reconciling your creation to you. Father, I thank you that even though this world is broken and that is imperfect, that you call us to be people that say there is a hope, there is a purpose, there is a design. And Father, I pray that as you send us out from this building today, that we could be people that speak of this truth, that speak of this story. Father, I pray that in our places of work and in the places that we live, That we could be people that speak the truths of justice and beauty. That tell your story in where we go out from this place. And I pray that we would be a church which is centred around the amazing truths of your gospel. We pray all these things in your name.